Make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. AdTech Connect, your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Hi, this is Taddy Hall, Chief Strategy Officer for the Advertising Research Foundation, and I am your host today for AdTech Connect. And, um, gosh, radio is terrific, isn't it? um, Unlike TV, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I can do this in the nude, um, which is, I guess, fun for everybody in my office. I've got a terrific uh, guest uh, coming to us live from, it was going to be in her car, but now I think it's in her living room, Daisy Whitney. And she has, she's a writer, an expert, thought leader, worked with uh, Television Week, Advertising Age, Denver Post, and I'm not sure where she is today, but hopefully she's on our show. Daisy, you with us? I'm here, Taddy. How are you? Good to talk to you. Oh, it's fabulous to talk to you. You sound rather squawky uh, uh, through my radio speakers. Are you, uh, are you connected to a landline there? I am connected to a landline, and, you, you know, phones just aren't what they used to be these days. So I'm, I'm sorry if it's not good, but I, I am actually home today instead of driving. My five-year-old is got quite a cough, so he's in the other room watching Madagascar. On DVD, not linear TV, though. Now, this, we, 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 we could talk about your son. That would be probably more interesting than some of the things that I uh, hear on TV and radio these days. So right now we're consuming multiple channels of media with lousy phones and your son on the uh, TV set. Does your son use TiVo? How old is he, five years old? He, he, he's just turned five a couple weeks ago, and I would tell you, having, having a young child is such a wonderful focus group when you're in the television <laughs> industry of writing about it as I am, because he, he is completely a nonlinear child. He thinks everything can be paused. I mean, he pauses TV all the time, and now he asks me, can, can we pause this book, Mommy? So he thinks everything can be paused, everything can be fast-forwarded and rewound. He watches almost everything through video on demand or DVRs. And it, it, part of the reason is that, that my husband is, is completely against advertising. So it's kind of funny. We sort of have this interesting Your dynamic here. Because to some degree, huh? I kind of have to support it since I write like about it. I don't jail, mind don't watching ads. He will not let our son watch ads at all. <laughs> but, but your son is five years old and he operates at TiVo, is that right? Yep, yep, he can, he, can do, he can do it by himself for the most part. I haven't quite Goodness, taught him everything I, because I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not certain yet that I want to go in that direction and let him have all of the control. So he doesn't entirely know how to work every aspect of the TV, but he, he can pretty much handle it. How much TV do you let this young five-year-old watch? <laughs> as much as I can get away with it without feeling too guilty, basically. Well, today, today he's home sick, so pretty much the whole day. Uh, I'll be seeing him movies, video on demand, nonstop. I've got to get some more stuff. Another one of those sources of information. It's kind of like what you know. How much gets spent on advertising online? You can kind of make up your own number, and that's just as good as what you get from a lot of the official sources. But we we hear similar things about ad skipping. So your son is probably as reliable a source as any. But uh, does he skip ads? Or does he like some ads? Does he skip all the ads? Well, no, I, I, think, I think most kids actually, I mean, kids are such a fertile ground for advertising, which opens up a whole other can of worms. 
But I, they're so impacted by him. That, I mean, a few times that he has watched ads, because sometimes, like, I'll put on, for instance, I love PBS Kids Sprout. That's yeah. an on-demand channel, but now it's become a, a linear channel as well. And they have great kids shows. They've got Berenstain Bears, Thomas the Train. So I will just sometimes put that on on the linear channel, and I, it doesn't bother me if he watches the ads. But then, you know, if I leave the room, my husband comes in and sees that the ads are on. He's having a fit because Walker is asking, you know, can you take me to Chuck E. Cheese? Can you take me to McDonald's? Can you buy me this Lego set? I mean, they, they react instantly to advertising. Well, you know, Let's uh, let's let's shift gears from your son for a moment, and um, we we've seen some very interesting data over the of a trend of the last ten or fifteen years that establishes very clearly that hostility towards advertising has grown substantially. I was looking at some Yankelovich data recently, which I think the numbers were in the seventy or eighty percent range, high seventies of of people who really found uh, advertising in general to be annoying, intrusive, and uh, uh, at times even offensive. Why is that? Have we gotten worse at what we're doing, or can we talk a little bit about you know, what's sick in advertising right now? And then I want to move past the whining, but why is advertising perceived as so annoying? Well, it's kind of interesting in a way that it is because... I think people also recognize that it's a, quote, necessary evil. I, I, I go back to, to my husband. He's very tech-savvy. He's got a video iPod. And he even recognizes that, you know, some of sort of the emerging podcasts have to be ad-supported. But yet there really is this hostility when they go too far. And I think it's just, I think what it is, is, is you know, I, I hate to use these trite expressions, but I really do believe it's true that the consumer is in control. And the more and more control that they have, the more entitled they feel. And now that there's so many devices and opportunities for us to completely be in control of our media consumption to decide what we want to watch, we, why should we have to see the ads? I think that's just how, that's how people feel, that they don't need them anymore. So there's probably a lot of folks, probably millions of people right now driving around listening to us talking because our radio show here is so popular. Uh, Exactly. And and they're probably all nodding their heads to that. Uh, But let's put this in context, because you you said something a second ago that seemed to me a bit, not to to take issue with it, but a bit of 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 a relic in terms of thinking, which is that advertising is a necessary evil, because as we know, in many in many forms of media and and content consumption, it's no longer necessary, right? We can skip it on TV. We can skip it on uh, with satellite radio. We can pretty much skip it almost anywhere. Um, but let's talk about where your expertise really is, which is TV. Um, uh, TV has changed a lot, and I want I want to uh, I want to get your definition and thinking on what is TV? What is TV past, present, and future so that all of our listeners sprinkled across the globe can think about uh, TV in the future uh, in a thoughtful way? I love that question, and I really think that it's becoming... That, that I mean, the definition of television is broadening so much, and it's really becoming more about video. But of course, video isn't such a sexy word. TV is a much sexier word. So, so hopefully we'll all keep, still keep using the word television. But what I think it's going to come to mean is consuming video just wherever, wherever it can be consumed. And 
I've thought a lot. I mean, you, you know, you posed that question to me over email this morning, so, so I was thinking about it. And I really do believe that even though there's something very enjoyable to sitting down on the couch, watching the television, I really do believe that we are moving towards this world where people want to consume content anywhere they want. I bring this out because on Monday night I got a phone call from a friend who – she had a friend in the hospital, and there was some award show that night, and she wanted to know if there was any way she could record it on her TiVo and have it somehow delivered on a tape or in some kind of digital form. She didn't know what, but so her friend in the hospital could watch it. And that just says to me that, that, there are, that consumers are really willing to watch things wherever they want to watch them. That, that if, if there was some way she could have downloaded this show onto a video iPod and brought it to her friend, she would have done that. If it was available online, if, if it had been streamed live or, or offered you know, on an archive basis mm-hmm. two hours later, she would have plugged in her laptop, got on some wireless connection in the hospital, and watched it then. And that says to me, the thing that I've kind of always wondered and been a little skeptical about the last few years is do consumers really want to do things in the way that all of these technology companies have been telling me as a reporter that they're going to want to do it. Now that I hear more and more from the consumers and from my friends, I really do believe that people are willing and are ready to watch television, to watch content, really, from whoever they want to get it from. It doesn't have to be NBC. It can be cycling TV. And they'll Mm -hmm. watch it wherever it works for them at that moment in their lives with whatever they're doing. Daisy, you make a number of great points, and especially for the technology community, um, uh, I think there's a couple that that are worth underscoring. One, and this is interesting because uh, the ARF is actually, we're in the process and we've done two of these sessions. The ARF has been convening groups of marketing leaders from across the country in a series of intimate meetings. one in Chicago, one in New York, and we actually are doing a third of these meetings in San Francisco in December that are convening leaders to address the future of our industry. And much of what you talked about in multiple dimensions are at issue in those conversations and have underscored some of the scenarios that have been developed, and that's really the activity it is uh, intimate uh, development of, of scenarios for the future of advertising. And one that you touched on was something that came out of the New York event called Google World, which was very much aligned with what you said of, of suddenly consumers in control, essentially, of everything well, through Google's an intelligent really uh, interface. Ultimately. And here's, here was the big idea that came out of that, which is that marketers who want to retain some degree of control actually need to give up control, give up control to consumers if they want to retain any degree of power in influencing uh, uh, consumers' decisions. That was just one of the scenarios that came up, and we called it Google World. What do you make of that? Absolutely believe that that's true. There are, there are a couple of great articles that have been written recently that I'll, that I'll bring up so readers can go out and check them out. At did Bob you read, did you write wonderful them? wonderful story in Advertising Age <laughs> a couple of weeks ago called Listenomics, and it was all about how marketers, are, in some instances and, in, and increasingly more instances, will need to listen to their consumers more. I'll give you a couple examples. And then there's another great one in uh, Business 2.0 in October about companies tapping into consumer passion. And I think anybody in the marketing business or advertising business needs to go out and read those two articles. 
the, I bring that out because what, what, what I think is really going, what will work for marketers is, what, is doing what you say, is seeding control, finding the opportunities where they can allow their customers to really have a dialogue with them and in a way that hasn't been done before. I'm going to give you an example. Um, it's kind of going to be a preview of a story that's running in the November 21st issue of Television Week. It's a web property called Break.com. Do user-generated videos. And next year they're going to be they, – they actually have really, really impressive um, – uh, unique visitors. They're, they're getting about 10 million unique visitors a month. So next year, along the whole lines of user-generated video, they're going to move into opportunities where they like they would affiliate with a sponsor, like a Nike, for instance, and they would do something like, okay, all the visitors to the site can like create their own Nike commercial or tell us like why you love your Nikes or something, and and then you submit that, and together the users to the site can, like, mix it up, and then they create their own Nike commercial. And to me, like, that's the perfect example of if you do that as a marketer, I mean, you're really connecting deeply with your customers, making them value your brand, and you're giving them an opportunity to participate in it. And I think those sorts of examples are the things that we are going to see more and more of, and I think it's the smart marketers. That, that the smart marketers are going to recognize that, the smart marketers are going to look for the opportunities to do that, and those are going to be the ones that succeed by giving up some control. I th- let's, and let's, uh, I want to put some brackets around that in a way that uh, people who have both hands on the steering wheel can uh, record this in their brain without having to get out a pen or do something dangerous on the interstate. Uh, the, 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 the concept that, that I'm hearing is one of, co-creation of meaning or even co-creation of, of brand experience between a consumer and a marketer. And that's a very different concept from the old world of uh, uh, make and sell in sense uh, of creating products and then pushing them out to, to consumers. And I think you, you touch on some really interesting things in, in some particular illustrations with Nike uh, actually inviting people into a dialogue. And you've seen lots of interest in this concept of dialogue and exchange. Uh, the whole idea of co-creation is something that's probably been best explored um, uh, in the academic world by Jerry Zaltman at Harvard, who, who again, has been participant with us in our recent uh, discussions about the future of advertising. But I think that this idea of co-creation of meaning and co-creation even of brand experiences is a critical building block for folks who do want to think about what the future is likely to be like. And things like, you know, talking on, uh, talking to Nike about their shoes or designing your own sneakers, those are those are maybe primitive or early uh, steps in, in in the process. You know, there's some more interesting stuff that's been going on. If you, I mean, you look at something like eBay, for example, that's been a co-created brand for a number of years, almost uh, kind of un- undiscussed. And it's not all stuff in the interactive space. In many ways, Starbucks is a fabulous example of co-creation of brand meaning. Right. Um, and, and, and I'm just going to highlight one other example that I think is interesting in terms of how companies can use this concept to identify new growth opportunities, because that's ultimately the business we're all in. Um, you think about uh, the, the, the game space, uh, online gaming. Gosh, it's grown 
uh, by leaps and bounds. You know, Microsoft was quite late to that game, right? And then, you know, Nintendo was out there and Sega right. was out there and Sony was out there. And they did some hard thinking and said, you know, we've got to come up with a new point of differentiation. It can't just be like better, faster games because, you know, everybody's constantly offering new games. And they did some research and, and they uncovered a concept uh, that hadn't been exploited from a brand perspective by any other, uh, by any other manufacturer or marketer. And that was this idea of communing and this, this, the tagline, it's fun to play together. Mm-hmm. that Xbox has so successfully commercialized, tapped into this desire for dialogue, for co-creation, for shared meaning and experience. And I think you've put your, your finger on an important building block for effective brands in the future. And I, and I think it's interesting that you bring up the Microsoft example, because I believe when they launched it was. I, I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with uh, with all the gaming platforms, but I believe it was when they launched the most recent Xbox. One of their online campaigns was one in which they created their their, their interactive agency created a, a, a whole different language. It was like based on symbols, basically, and mm-hmm. they hung it on the back of like a Microsoft somewhere on the back of the Microsoft website. Like, it wasn't easily accessible. And the whole point was that, that gamers would go find it. They would find that page. They would crack the code. They would start posting the language and, and what the symbols meant, what the characters meant, what the different words ultimately were. And what it was is the company was kind of giving away, like, some previews of what was going to be in the next version of the game. I, I'm, I think it was probably Halo. So it's that sort of thing where you're really, like, inviting them to participate in your brand that makes it successful. And what's interesting, too, Taddy, is we're starting to see a couple examples of how this is happening in television as well. Because you might initially think, well, you know, TV network brands are kind of stayed, set in their ways. What can they do to let viewers participate? But I want to give you a couple good examples based on a story I did a few weeks ago for Television Week. HGTV, Home and Garden Television, had an item in an online, their online newsletter about a year ago. Writer was writing about how she said, I have the world's ugliest bathroom. It's really tacky, and she put pictures there. And then there was a little note saying, send us photos of your ugliest bathroom. So they got, <laughs> you know, 400 submissions or something uh, like I that. I tell that to my wife. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, maybe yours was like the head-to-toe pink bathroom. <laughs> so, so they posted these on their website, and viewers really seemed to enjoy it. People online were voting on what was the tackiest and ugliest bathroom, and it kind of stayed there for a little while. And then there was a sales meeting in February this year, and the online folks brought up that they had done this. And then the on-air folks at the meeting said, well, that's a great idea for a special. Let's turn that into a special. So it was a special that ran in October called Bad Baths USA, and now they're turning it into a series that's going to be launching in the second quarter of next year. And I love that example because it's a divergence from what HGTV has traditionally done, which is improving home design. Instead, here's the network saying, you know what, we can have a little fun. We can show you these kind of tacky, garish bathrooms. And sure, when they do the show, there's an eye towards how to improve it. But what, what the network said was it's not a show that they ever would have done on their own. They never would have developed that on their own. But it became clear because of the interaction from the visitors on their website, from their excitement about posting these photos and sharing these photos, that it was okay to go a little off course with the brand. And that says to me that 
as a marketer in this case, as a, as a TV marketer, I mean, the network itself as a marketer, if you let consumers in, you can help kind of reshape your brand. The brand is not just you saying what it is, but it's an active dialogue between the company and between the consumers. You, uh, Daisy, you make such wonderful points, and, 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 and lots of them are streaming through my, through my head. And, and one of them, which I think is, is, is it's, a, like a, it's a breath of fresh air. Uh, you know, gosh, if, if you spend a lot of time working with big companies, uh, as I do day mm-hmm. in and day out, it, there is, uh, and I shouldn't kind of, I'm not, not to, not to badmouth big companies, but there right. is a very boring refrain that has a lot of whining in it about <laughs> how the models are all broken and how things aren't working and the world is changing and the sky is falling and what are we going to do and the CFO is calling and my budget's getting cut. The reality is, is, you know, there's folks out there changing the world. Uh, and, 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 and it's not like we necessarily have to just uh, cry about the past. We can go forward, and there are people who are showing the way to do it. And, uh, and there's simple principles at work. I, I love the concept that you raised in the beginning, dialogue. Dialogue is a respectful engagement between two parties. The reality is, is that advertising has been in a rut of disrespectful engagement where they just transmit stuff, and it doesn't work. And the sooner that big advertisers realize that just transmitting stuff to people who have the ability to tune that out are going to look for more respectful forms of engagement. And I think, what, I think what's happening is that we're starting to see, I mean, I know a handful of agencies that are very progressive and forward-thinking and that they are, are they're really making it their charge to bring in their clients for education days or workshop days and say, okay, this is our everything you need to know about interactive TV day or mm-hmm. this is, you know, learn about advertising and in, in video on demand or, or whatever it is. I mean, there, there are agencies that are out there and that are doing that and that are, that are, really seeing it as their charge, as well they should, to educate their clients about these new opportunities. I, you know, I mean, I, I guess we go back to the whole refrain, I mean, it takes time, but I think that we are seeing sort of pockets of forward-thinkingness with agencies and, and, and with clients that are really willing to take a chance on some of these new technologies. I, I just want to underscore the point you, you made there and made before, which is, this is my, my personal opinion, but it's based on decades, you know, research that spans decades, is, is you know, technology has gotten, and vendors of technology have burned themselves consistently to a charred crisp when they, <laughs> when they approach consumers with, I've built this fabulous new wizardry, and you're just going to love it. I mean, we... Right. We praised Microsoft before, but one of the big uh, uh, mistakes they made for a long time was trying to cram a PC on a handheld. Even I, even and even uh, Apple did a similar thing with their fabulously successful Newton. Right? right? That's just it. Simply wasn't something that people were were trying to do. And I think to the extent that uh, even those people who are at the bleeding edge of technology can, instead of putting a techno driver on innovation, put a dialogue concept on innovation, 
So they're giving the opportunity to consumers to actually co-create what these new products and brands will look like, putting research at the core and dialogue as the principal development tool. The odds of success are a whole lot better than just trying to cram uh, everything you can get on a satellite onto a wristwatch and think that people are going to be thrilled uh, to be able to do day trading uh, uh, on their arm. It's just, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not very exciting, nor is it very practical to, uh, to succeed. Um, but there's some great principles out there for success, and there's some great companies out there that, that, that are leading the way. I agree. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how a lot of the TV technology vendors that I follow pretty closely, if they're able to follow that concept that you talk about. I mean, I'm starting to see, as I mentioned, examples where you know agencies are, are opening up the dialogue and are trying to bring in um, Kara, for instance, has got its, its Kara Exchange think tank where you know where they bring in you know tech firms like Gold Pocket and 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 Tamburg TV and and sequence and folks like that, and then they bring in their clients as well. And the whole point is to get advertisers involved from the get-go. So as these new technologies are being fashioned, they're being fashioned with advertiser input. And, of course, the, the, the corollary to that is how do they get fashioned as well with consumer input? And I think that's probably a tougher proposition and, 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 and for people, unlike myself, to go figure out. But I think that really is going to be the key. Is how do you, how do you, how does that dialogue occur? Not just with the creation of content, but with the creation of technology. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, Daisy. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's always helpful is to understand when we are at a tipping point or when there really is a new paradigm that's required. And and we started with a wonderful question because it was a simple question, which is, you know, mm-hmm. what is TV? And and I think TV as a as a mental construct is something that we ought to just take it out and stick it on the desk and look at it. And I'll tell you. And again, this is uh, this was a, a a scenario insight that came out of I think our Chicago uh, workshop recently was really a way to think about TV. Let me share it with you, okay. which was TV initially was an appliance. You know, right. it, was, it was something that a bunch of companies like RCA and Zenith made, and you'd stick it on your table as an appliance. Then some content companies and some broadcast companies got together, and the next phase of TV, it was a medium. It became a medium for channeling content to uh, consumers. It didn't initially contain advertising as we know it. Most of the advertising was what we would now call uh, product placement or sponsored right. content, right? And even the P&Gs of the world were producing shows. The third phase, which is the one that we're all kind of were born and raised in, was TV as an economic model for an entire industry cluster. TV as an economic model, meaning it was a set of standards and guidelines and practices and industry structures by which content got created, consumers consume content, advertising got created, right. content and advertising got priced, and we all got very, very good in our industry about living by a, uh, a model of TV that's fundamentally an economic model. And what's happening? What's happening is that that paradigm of TV as an economic model for this industry cluster basically is getting eroded from the bottom because it's, it is dependent upon attentive viewers consuming advertising 
and acting on it at the cash register. And as that is not happening with the same strength that it used to for a whole bunch of reasons that everybody loves to talk about, uh, that model for TV essentially is less and less relevant. I'm thinking that in, you know, five years from now, the word TV will really exist as an artifact, and it goes back to what you talked about, that it's all going to be about video, which people do like to consume in a lot of ways. How do you, how do you uh, react to that, that kind of historical perspective of, of TV? It's, it, the timeliness of this is so perfect because I believe yesterday some association put out a figure that uh, ad revenue was down 21% of the broadcast mm-hmm. networks. At the same time, five of the broadcast networks got together, did it, I don't know, I guess it was a press conference, and talked about how, oh, time skipping, DVRs, it's really not such a bad thing. More people are watching. I'm sorry, I have a DVR, as we've talked about. And you know what? I don't watch the ads. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, and, sure, sometimes there'll be an interesting one. And they'll point to 53% of consumers say they'll, they'll watch an ad. Well, I bet 53% of consumers do that maybe once a week or once a month. Yeah. It's not for every single ad. It's something that they may do. So they're pointing to these statistics, but, but the reality is, as everybody says, the, the, the genie is out of the bottle. And I just, what's interesting is that it's, I mean, it's not going to get any easier. We are going to continue to have technological innovations every day and every year that we can't even imagine right now but it will continue to change the television industry because that's really what's making it all possible. As, as technology enables us to do more and more, it's threatening these advertising models. But the reality is consumers, I believe, are going to want to watch more stuff, whether they're watching it from NBC or whether they're watching it from Break.com or whether they're watching it from feed room or Google or wherever it is, or they're watching it on their iPod or they're watching, you know, the Mary and Carla show that two girls produce in their apartment in New York or, or whatever it is, people are just are, ha, seem to have a truly ravenous appetite for watching stuff. So I think that's the good thing. The whole, you know, the challenges are how does this all get worked out over the next five years and what are the financial underpinnings for it? If people are going to keep wanting to watch things, there will be economic models that get figured out. Consumers are in control. Thank you, uh, thank you, Daisy, very much. We're going to go to a uh, advertising break here, and I want to thank you, Daisy. Thank and you, Daddy. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to have our our next guest, Meredith Medlin. But for folks who want to participate in more of this fascinating dialogue on the future of advertising, I encourage you to get in touch with our office here, the ARF. You can even email me taddy at varf.org, and we would be happy to include you in our leadership discussion in San Francisco in a matter of weeks. We're going to go to an advertisement, and when I come back, we'll be joined with our next guest, Meredith Medland. How do you choose the right affiliate program to partner with? All we're trying to do is make the most money in the least amount of time. The answer is simple. JoeBucks.com, the world's leading herbal affiliate program. JoeBucks.com is the direct manufacturer, so there's no middleman. This will allow you to make up to 50%, the highest payouts on the net, and also get paid twice a month. Sign up today and watch your income grow. 
innovative services of Load.com help you easily maximize your business and bottom line. Since 1999, Load.com has offered premium web applications and business solutions for companies worldwide. Set up business and private mailboxes. Track marketing and website traffic. And assure a professional design for your website with Load's email, web stats, and DNS services. Save time. Save money. Load is your reliable source for professional web applications and business solutions. Visit Load.com. That's L-O-A-D.com and get loaded today. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. Text link Ads.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, text linkads.com. Do you sell a product or service with monster potential in the online market? Then attack the opportunity to turn your dreams into reality. Equipped with flexible e-commerce software from MonsterCommerce.com. You'll possess complete control of your store, including your storefront's design, maintenance of your products, and management of your online orders. And all with the technical support and service. Available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Grow your business today with MonsterCommerce.com. Now back to you're connected now with your host. I guess that'd be me, uh, Taddy Hall, Chief Strategy Officer for the Advertising Research Foundation. And I am joined by Meredith Medlin, who's the Marketing Director for AdTech Expositions. And we're both wishing that we bought our coffee at the same place as those guys who were doing the advertisements did. Meredith, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. This is lots of fun. Uh, we're we're having a ball over here uh, now. Since since maybe everybody can't see you, uh, tell us about yourself and uh, your background uh, and 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 why you want to be on our game show today. Because <laughs> the price is right. Uh, let's see. Well, I think to 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 parlay into what's been being spoken about for the last half an hour. That if there was anything, parlay. Yes. Can you say that again? Uh, is that like a? I, I was just looking up on my foreign dictionary parlay, but go go right ahead. You're 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 on a roll. <laughs> I'm on a roll. So, um, if, if there's anything that that would be, you know, introduce yourself. What's your background? To parlay from what we talked about in the first half an hour of the show, I I think where we're moving is a um, overlap of professional and personal life into the workplace and into our businesses which is demonstrated really uh, in the word intimacy. And so... Intimacy. Intimacy. So, you know, my background uh, has been in online advertising and marketing for about the last uh, eight or nine years with a, a stint with Chicago Tribune Media, heading up the Internet division for the Sharper Image, mm. uh, online advertising analyst for Jupiter, as well as a director for their consulting program. And uh, and here I'm sitting in the fabulous office in Larkspur, California, right over the beautiful Golden Gate Bridge, uh, in a in a great office surrounded by a fantastic team, and uh, we got a beautiful mermaid picture and a, a frog praying statue here in the office. So you know that's that's the mix. That sounds lovely. <laughs> 
And so what are you doing now? Uh, Meredith, you've uh, bounced uh, all over the globe in some very exciting and important positions. Can I ask you a little bit about ad tech? Please do. Okay, so here's the question that I have, uh, you know, inquiring minds want to know. It wasn't that long ago uh, that there was a big computer show. I think it was called Comdex, right? Yes, it was. And that was like the deal. And it, it, it sort of faded with the sun one day and, and like, never came back. And suddenly this new uh, uh, star is rising called AdTech in terms of the leading events of convening a whole lot of folks and whooping up a whole lot of energy, uh, and I'm not sure those are the necessarily the metrics that you guys use, but, but there's nothing like it. Can you help me understand uh, why that's happened? And this isn't like a, a plug for ad tech. I'm just uh, curious. So you, so you want to know why we've experienced the growth that we have and how we've been able to stick you're around. You're touching on some, you're hitting a nerve that some people need, and I don't think it's just another really big cocktail party, but maybe that's it. Uh, what is it that you and, and my dear friend Susan Bratton and you folks uh, who are looking out uh, at uh, San Francisco Bay through the eyes of mermaids, what, what, what is it that you've uh, <laughs> tapped into? We've tapped into the, the fundamentals, but when I say fundamentals, that's the fun, the F-U-N, and the fundamentals. And that is that we have created, and I should say that Susan Bratton has been key in um, creating the speakers, that when people come to ad tech now, they have the opportunity to actually participate in hands-on workshops that give answers to questions uh, for the marketer who's actually doing marketing. So that's opening an Excel sheet and tracking campaigns and who to buy and what questions to ask for, for the salespeople. Part of what, what's making our conference so successful is that we have integrated, along with really great keynotes, workshops like, uh, 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 you know, how to use your how to leverage your existing website to generate profit. I mean, mm-hmm. these are managing your in your email box. So the the techniques and the fundamentals that are needed to actually be an effective marketer in this industry mm-hmm. are where we are coming back to. And that that's really uh, the richness and the robustness of the content. Now the reason that ad tech has been so successful is that is a theme that's run through the conference over the years. And what's even more important this year is that we have an increased focus on community and connection and the intimacy that occurs between our attendees uh, while they're telling the truth about what's working and not working with these new technologies is essentially what makes us a leader in the industry. You, uh, the conference model is, uh, that you touched on actually has some interesting research behind it. I, I tell you, we've done a bit of an experiment here at the Advertising Research Foundation, and it's probably because we're run by a group of fairly intelligent folks who often also happen to have a good dose of uh, attention deficit uh, syndrome. And uh, I thought it was just us, but I can't stand normal conferences. And the thought of sitting down and having somebody talk at me for several hours is totally tedious. And, and, and I thought that was just an anomaly or an idiosyncrasy that maybe a few of us had. But there's been substantial learning research in the educational field over decades, and so I'm not sure why the conference industry has been so slow to figure this out. 
but the least effective mechanism for transmitting knowledge and for actually learning, for enabling people to learn things, is a lecture format. People basically don't learn from being uh, uh, passive recipients of somebody else's jargon. And what you touched on, this hands-on concept, is exactly what we've been doing in these intimate uh, meetings I mentioned before, part of our workshop series, Advertising What's Next. And we just sort of cut people loose uh, in a very structured format with some very specific topics focused on the future of advertising. Uh, We've got very senior leaders coming back to us, folks who normally don't go to conferences, telling us, and this is amazing, we had an event in Chicago, an event in New York, 100%, 100% of the folks who went to these events uh, recommended to a colleague uh, in their company or a peer. And the reason for that, I think, is similar to what uh, you discovered, is there's a real thirst out there for learning and knowledge, but you're not going to get it just by sticking a, uh, uh, a receiver in your, your ear and hearing people talk. And so that makes, that makes a heap of sense to me. Can can we talk a little bit about some of the issues that you've uh, tapped into? Uh, there was a very interesting episode or feature of your uh, Connect Live event here in New York last week that I heard about called the, the Hot Seat Circle. Uh, can you tell me about that? Sure, I'd love to. So the Hot Seat Circle, just to give our, our listeners a visual, so... There, there was a session that we had that had a group of 25 people in a circle, and there was a facilitator, Susan Bratton, and actually I helped Susan uh, facilitate the session. And we had uh, anyone who wanted to could sit in this, the circle. So there were people waiting to sit in the circle. And we also had industry leaders, David Karlick, um, Lee Nadler, John Battelle, who were also inside of the circle. And one person would be seated on the hot seat, and the group of 25 people would focus all their attention on that one person. Goodness. Then the moderator would allow each member in the circle to ask questions. Now, those questions could either be personal or professional. And what was most interesting about like the hot seat... Like truth or dare. Exactly. They had the, they had the opportunity in the rules of the game, because it was played as a game with hats and costumes was that you could either lie, tell the truth, or pass on the question, just like in marketing. Ah. And what, what occurred was an opening into uh, a new reality of the blend of we're just normal people doing our jobs and have you know feelings and loves and children and friends and all these things, and there's also a business uh, success under it. And so what the hot seat gave the attendees was the opportunity to have a face-to-face interaction with really solid industry leaders. Now, backed into that was the way that that interacted with all the different technologies in the room. So IntroNetworks, who is the software, um, they provide the platform for ad tech's online community. Mm -hmm. So we were able to ask questions of the person in the hot seat, take pictures with web shots, as well as, push the information up onto a live RSS feed by Simple Feed during the whole thing. So there were all, it was an online community brought to life. So in the hot seat, there were many things that were experienced. And I I can give you some of the feedback that I've I've talked to from the the attendees. But um, from a classic marketing sense, what happened was 
Number one, the person in the hot seat got to control the content. So the hot seat is the consumer. Number, right. number two, it was participative marketing. So the people in the circle got to ask the questions that they wanted to know, and the person in the hot seat got to say them. Number three, there was a structure, and that structure was the possibility of creating answers that populated the fields in our online community. Number four was that there was a photographer, a place of interaction, and a, an ability to capture a sensory perception moment, so a moment of feeling good, feeling alive, feeling connected, and capture that moment with a fun furry hat or costume and then immediately upload that into the profile as well as into the RSS feed while there's fun DJ music in the background. And these hot seats took place about every 7 to 12 minutes and there was a um, kind of a mini 60-second break of a, a, a woman named uh, Jamie Love, Sparkle Luscious, who is a uh, somewhat famous hula hooper in San Francisco, and she talked about how our use of energy and our ability to widen our circle of influence can boil down to the way hula hooping is done. Again, another key marketing principle, which is how, what, what's the outcome and what are the results that we want to achieve so that we're not having radio shows like you know, the possibility of this show where people don't want to listen anymore to high level, here's the possibility, and keynotes showing the uh, you know, 1% best thing that they've done. What the need is in the, in, in the interactive industry right now is intimacy, truth-telling, and actually getting down to the bottom line. How much does it cost? What are you doing for me? And ultimately, how does that come back to revenue? And, and what, what happens from here? And there's, there's too many people talking about the concept and not actually executing on it. And Ad Tech Connect Live was one of the opportunities for us to demonstrate how technology could actually come alive and penetrate the human experience and bring people to life. And the connections that were made in that room demonstrated deals and growth and, um, and conversations that many of the people reported were some of the highlights of the whole show for them. I just want to make sure that all our millions of listeners remember they heard it here first that the hula hoop is making a big comeback. <laughs> uh, no, Meredith, that's fabulous, and, and it is funny that as we live in this increasingly virtual and digital world, the desire for community and connectivity and interaction is, 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 is greater than ever. Well, that's uh, one of the things when I was listening to you talk to Daisy during the first part of the show that, that really concerned me is you were having conversations about all the different ways for consumers to get uh, content or enter into quasi-communities or blogs. And what I really feel like is on the, the edge of the industry, maybe not necessarily today, but where we're headed. Where are we headed? Well, well, I think that we're headed to a place where getting people, actual physical bodies, in the same room with one another, having real-life conversations, whether it's about business or pleasure, is where we're headed because that is going to become the new currency. 
we, we are starting to get connected via the online environment, and when we can translate those connections into physical places, that, that is what's missing now. You know, we used to have a society where people would gather in townhouses or do uh, or town halls, and there were neighborhoods, and and you interacted uh, uh, with people without, you know, the, the crackberry. Mm. There is um, a lack of uh, intimacy that I feel is actually about to occur. So this is definitely, you know, future focused where the amount of value that a marketer will gain from having a real live person to talk to and interact with their product or service will be the number one thing that is important for the growth of the industry. Well, there's no question there are certain human activities that cannot occur uh, through a wireless hookup. But, um, uh, Meredith, this is really exciting stuff. And in the spirit of dress-up, which uh, clearly is near and dear to your heart, if I'm putting on kind of a cynical marketer's hat, um, saying, yeah, okay, we need to get people together, and maybe that's why we need to do more in the retail environment. You know, if I'm a big marketer, I'm listening to all this, and I'm saying, yeah, okay, well, how is this going to help me drive sales? You know, I spend, I spend uh, several billion dollars a year in advertising, and maybe I've got a TV budget of $500 million that I'm going to put to work. You know, what, what, what does all this stuff mean to me? I mean, sure. I don't have time well, to come they, play dress-up, but I do need to move yeah. some pampers. You know, Thank what do, you. I, how, you what do you have for me? I, I always like to bring it back to, uh, to the cynical perspective because it's, right. it's not fun to debate it. So here's some very tangible information, which is actually accessible through uh, uh, AdAge, and it was written up in some other marketing publications. So... Um, Nike put the their one of their shoe lines on the uh, Times Square billboard, and you could create your shoe via your cell phone, your, via your PDA, and you could call in a number, and then you could actually watch and order um, your shoe being developed in the uh, in the sign that was happening in Times Square. And so, I'm, I'm sure some people have read about it. And when we uh, spoke to RGA, which was responsible for that campaign, Robert uh, Greenberg and Jenny Harris, that campaign was one of the single most effective campaigns that Nike did. And one of the reasons it was effective is because people who were Nike shoe, interested in the Nike brand, came together in a three-block radius circle with their PDAs and laughed and connected and interacted with one another underneath the Times Square billboard and created a level of intimacy that was based on pleasure and fun and excitement in a way that no marketer has ever done. It was one of the single most pivotal campaigns, and, and I really encourage our readers to... Um, to read about it. So that's a very specific example of the concepts that I'm talking about um, that come at a high level. Yeah. So obviously, and Nike has a lot of advertising dollars to put towards something like that. Well, and the thing is, uh, it's not always a question of big dollars, right? Bob Greenberg was with the ARF here in New York just a week ago at our uh, workshop that I was describing earlier. He was here with us, and he described that campaign, and, and just as you did, he, what he underscored is um, uh, this concept of TV, 
of having to communicate with people using a medium at, in which it costs $15,000 for every second of content that you want to generate only to have it ignored by people, uh, that's a broken model. And, and rather than whining about it, there's fabulous opportunities to go out and, um, and, and create new opportunities to engage consumers and, 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 as you said, empower them to create meaningful experiences with your brand. Exactly. And, um, and if you think about the theme of ad tech, uh, this year is the age of engagement. And, and engaging is specifically why people report ad tech as being the, the event to go to and attend because they have connections and meetings uh, scheduled around the ad tech content that, that gives them that ability to make things happen in this industry. You, uh, you touch on, Meredith, on something that's very close to a very interesting uh, workshop scenario, which was that, they, uh, that, that basically said it forecast in a couple of years the whole idea of an account planner in the agency or a brand manager uh, within the marketer firm is likely to disappear uh, or at least change dramatically in how we define it today. And the real skill set and the real definition of that task will be not managing brands or uh, accounts. It will be engagement management. And you'll see essentially the dissipation of uh, media or creative or some of those things that are so uh, important in our current vocabulary and really the currency in which we operate will be okay can you can you engage consumers in a way that enables them to co-create with me the marketer a meaningful personal experience that links them to my brand exactly and um, and I think that when we talk about a meaning experience linking to a brand, that you just hit head on what we're leading with it, with ad tech. In fact, we're just launching our impact regional series, which will be traveling in March and April to Seattle, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Denver, Dallas, Atlanta, Miami, Boston, Cincinnati. I didn't hear Toronto. you say New York. What's wrong with us? <laughs> We've got our big show in New York. Yeah, but we want to have our own event here. Oh, all right. All right, well, okay, we'll okay. It sounds... But um, I, I, w I wanted to point that out. to One, I want the listeners to know the cities and that they can go to the website to, to look at those cities and register. And I wanted to utilize that as a way to address what you just said, which is when consumers, or in our case, when attendees or listeners have an experience at an event, they have a physiological experience or a you know a mental experience of feeling feeling good, feeling inspired, enthusiastic, feeling educated, and that if we can match that sensation and connect that to our brand, then ultimately we have a customer who is with us for life because they have an association that when that feeling is in their body, then when that pleasure, when that connection is there and that education, the foundational fundamental principles are there, they know that that is ultimately coming from connections that are made at ad tech or at impact going to these 10 cities. And that ultimately is the answer to the question that you first asked me, which is how did ad tech 
maintain themselves. How did we get here, and why are we the largest online digital marketing show in the United States? And it's because we put our focus on making sure that when you think of ad tech, you think of great content, amazing connections, and a community of people who you trust, who you can do business with, and who will hold hands and walk forward into the the unknown and trailblaze a whole new industry. Man, does that sound great. Uh, Get a happy meal to go with it. Meredith, um, you wanted to talk a little bit about the um, next couple of shows on, uh, uh, on our program. Do you want to take a second to talk about uh, what we're going to have on EdTech Connect coming up? Uh, on, the, on the next couple uh, radio shows coming up. Is that what you would like to spend a second? Uh, you can either talk about that or a word on your uh, on this traveling uh, circus that you're going to run. <laughs> well, what I'd like to just let everybody know is that you can go to our website, which is ad-tech.com. You can register for our new one-day uh, impact regional events, which are in the cities I mentioned all over the United States. Oh, fun. Is this they, an advertisement? <laughs> <laughs> are these advertisements? Uh, these are advertisements, but it's also great education because what's different about this, sh- this show that's going to be traveling, it's called Key Metrics for Marketers. And we're really just going to get down to the basics and give marketers what they need to know. So this, this isn't the high level, you know, here's where the industry is going. This is like, hey, there's people who live in your city. They do the job you do. Why don't you come to Impact for the day, get to know them. We'll help you out and give you the education that you need let you ask questions, and, uh, and create communities in these cities while we work with the digital uh, associations in each city and, and let us help you out. So well, I think it, it sounds great, and I think it's an exciting way for us to, to wrap up. I think you guys are doing something that fits so well with also what, what we at the Advertising Research Foundation have found to be so successful recently as well. Um, with our focus on advertising, what's next, the future of advertising. We also have felt that by bringing senior leaders together to talk about the future and what to do rather than uh, just whining about what's broken, gosh, some unbelievable learning can uh, be created uh, through that co-creation process that's only possible when folks are in, a, in an environment of dialogue, not just uh, one of re- receiving information. So folks who are out there who enjoyed this conversation, people who really want to talk about the future of advertising and get to solutions that they can use, join us as well uh, uh, in San Francisco. Go on our website, thearf.org, um, for more information or email me, taddy at thearf.org. We would love to include you with leaders from top companies like Nissan and Nokia and Nintendo and Siemens and Microsoft and TiVo and Yahoo and MSN. Senior folks are going to be there. We'd love to have you with us. We're going to go to a commercial break now. Um, Thank you very much for joining us uh, this week on Ad Tech Connect, and we'll look for you. We won't look for you because you can't see on radio, but we'll hope you're we'll, listening we'll next time. We'll online at the uh, online community that you can register for on the network tab at ad-tech.com. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Meredith. We're over and out. Thank you, Mark, our producer. Back to you. This is Taddy Hall, the Chief Strategy Officer, the ARF, uh, signing off. And now i got to go put my clothes back on. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>